You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? Please relax the word. It's good. You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine that hurt. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass, 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 brass. I'm falling, and I can't get up! Hey! Welcome, welcome to Money Never Sleeps. And the top of the hour will have us talking about one of the most anticipated IPOs, which turned into the uh, trading fiasco, and now uh, balanced out, ready to move into the future. The company's Facebook and the view of this company has to be a lot different than the hype masters have laid out, you know, since the uh, company did come public. Uh, Google, as big as it is and as much growth as the company has had over the years, the company is still growing. It's a continued growth story, whether through acquisition or organic growth, the company continues to grow. And it's my opinion that Facebook won't be too much different. The street, the street was uh, looking from the onset at a grand slam. Right out of the gates, they were looking for Facebook to go to $200 a share. Uh, they priced this stock way off the mark. The valuations, how they valuated it, I, I still to this day don't know. Very confusing. Uh, but that is what we in the real world, we call greed. Unadulterated greed. But now that all the major short-term trading, good or bad, all that stuff has been shaken out of the tree. Now we need to talk about the future of Facebook. Now, Facebook at this point is trading where it should be, in a good range, anywhere from 24 to 29. You know, it's kind of stabilizing out, and it's trading nicely. Nothing goes up in a straight line, and if something does go up in a straight line, then, you, <laughs> then you'll be concerned because you have a lot of shorts coming in. But it's actually, you know, going up, going down, uh, and it's trading nicely. The big benefit that comes with Facebook is the future. The company has had their fingers on the pulse of social media since the beginning of it all. But what makes this company so much different than, let's say, a, a Twitter is that it is beginning to master the monetization game. And that's a key thing when you're talking about a publicly traded company. And at the end of the day, investors want to see growth. They want to see that you have revenue coming in. No revenue? How are you making money? How are you making investors' money? You know, uh, this, this is not a magician's game. There's no Houdini uh, deal involved here. You know, revenue stream, increased revenue stream means uh, more value to the company, which means stocks go higher and investors are happy. All right, Twitter is definitely, and I'm going to touch on Twitter because Twitter is definitely a global connector since it came out and 140 characters or less. But the biggest issue with Twitter is that although it provides a service to its users at, uh, at some point, the company has to start making money. It's not publicly traded now, but it has to make some type of money to sustain the business model. The monetization would have to come from advertising dollars unless they created some magical way to generate revenue. This is the only path that I see it having to make to have a substantial impact on the revenue stream of the company. So if this is all true, then the business model of Twitter would have to change or, or be tweaked a little bit at some point. Uh, this is something that you know may not work for all the Twitter users. 
You know, people use it. They tweet, send the message back and forth. They connect with the world. And uh, if advertising is thrown into the mix, I don't know how that's going to work out. You know, Facebook has actually be they've begun they they've begun to be very proficient in the uh, the mobile space with Facebook, which everyone was waiting for because that's where. The uh, the big revenue growth is going to come for the company, and I think that they're just going to get better and better. Uh, the bottom line for Twitter to go public via an IPO or even a reverse merger, they need solid uh, and grow and a growth driven uh, revenue model. As far as I know, they they don't have one. I don't know, uh, you know that if they're if they're going to have it or they have it in the works. I have no clue. But I do know that they're offering users the opportunity to advertise via Twitter to gain new users. But again, I'm not sure if that is going to bring the results that they're looking for, you know, because they need a lot of money coming in. I know a lot of money has been plugged into that. Uh, so we'll see uh, how that goes. But anyway, moving back to Facebook, I want to touch on Twitter because they're um, – they're a dynamic company, and they're very influential in the social media space. You know, anywhere you go, tweet this, tweet that, tweet, tweet me this, that, Twitter, 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 the little bird all over the place. Uh, anyway, moving back to Facebook, the company is in great shape for continued growth long term. They have uh, begun to use some of that cash flow and stock incentives to actually make strategic acquisitions such as uh, with Instagram. And there are going to be others along the way. I'm sure of it. The the word on the street is that they are looking at the mobile messaging service. Uh, it's called uh, WhatsApp as a possible tap on the shoulder. Uh, again, they're looking for innovation. They're looking for, you know, especially in the mobile space, because that's what they're kind of focused on is the mobile space right now, which I don't blame them, uh, because the web-based applications, although they they are functional, they do, you know, they do generate some revenue, uh, we're everyone's on the move. We're in a mobile environment. People are out. You know whether it's uh, you know uh, parents out there. Everybody's moving. Kids are running around. Everyone has a cell phone. Uh, they have an iPhone, an Android, whatever they have. They're they're in constant communication either with their friends locally or or, or all over the world for that matter. All right. Long term, I believe that Facebook will continue to grow its revenue continue to acquire key components to keep itself relevant in the social media space. But uh, I also see them uh, venturing into other tech areas down the road. Zuckerberg, you know, this guy understands that the company has to continue to move forward to be at the head of the table. And, and it looks like they are prepared to do just that. I wouldn't be shocked if inside the next 12 to 24 months we saw the stock trading well above this level. I mean, if it went to, you know, if it if it doubled, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked about it. If it tripled, I still wouldn't be shocked about it. Uh, even as we face the fiscal cliff concerns, you know, it's you know, Facebook itself is unique in nature. Social media is still growing. It's, it's still in its infancy, and that's what people need to understand. You know, more and more people. You, you, I mean, you have grandmothers on Facebook, on Twitter. You know, this is going to be, this is the culture that we're living in. And I think it's going to be uh, bigger and better. And, you know, you know, everyone knows Facebook. And I think, you know, they're going to start venturing into other things. Now, sticking with that topic, 
Um, you know, there is a new social media platform that will be coming down the pike uh, early in 2013 that will possibly, you know, give Twitter um, a run for their money and 140 characters or less, or maybe a little more. Uh, I do know that we will have the exclusive on Money Never Sleeps, and we will let our listeners know uh, when we'll be speaking about it, as this is something that you don't want to miss, because, again, it's going to um, bring a lot of flavor to the social media space. Uh, Moving on. Let's talk about Groupon. Oh, my God. What a fiasco this company has been, honestly. Uh, look, the company's concept was never something that I, I saw as having a long-term growth uh, potential. But for some reason, you know, someone convinced them otherwise. The concept was just that, a concept that was turned into a company, and a company that should have been built and sold off when the opportunity was there. When when someone came knocking on the door, at that point, hey, you know what, let's make a deal. Move on to the next project. CEO and, Andrew Mason, you know, he knows how to build a company. That, that's the thing that drives me nuts. He knows how to build a company. There's no doubt about that. However, the company's concepts is not something that I think will have legs going into the future. It's not truly innovative you know that I uh, you know innovative enough that it has a growth potential that you know Google thought it had when they put that offer on the table a couple of years ago to the tune of about what six billion dollars. I mean, geez, you know Google executives must be right now just giving a big woo wee. <laughs> Good thing we didn't pull the trigger on that one. Good thing it didn't work out. All right, unlike you know, Hewlett-Packard, who jumped the gun with their $11 billion acquisition fiasco of autonomy. And uh, now the finger-pointing is beginning. The SEC is involved. You know, this is like a mess amongst messes. Oof. You know, the one question that I have uh, with that situation is, where was the board when this was happening? Were people having tea? Were they, you know... Were they absentee uh, board members? Were they just signing documents haphazardly? Were they not doing their research? You know, I mean, that's what a board of directors is for, to help guide a company in the right direction. You know, I mean, they're there. They get paid, and they're there due to their expertise. Uh, Well, I mean, I guess a few of the people on the board were going nighty-night when the votes were tallied on that autonomy deal. Uh, Well, look... That'll be another story that'll be in the books alongside all these uh, financial fiascos and and these events that's, that that have happened over the past you know five ten years whatever it may be alongside Madoff and World Worldcom and things of that nature. Uh, it's just uh, it's just amazing to me that um, there's no responsibility here. No one's taking responsibility for what is happening. I you know I don't get it. You know, finger pointing this, that. You you signed the paper. You know, you, I mean, it was your decision to do it, um, and you should have done your due diligence, no matter what. No one could pull the wool over your eyes if you have the accounting firm in there ripping everything apart. I'm sorry, I, I don't I don't buy that. Okay, you know, if you had a guy like uh, here, you want to talk about a great CEO? Look at Jamie Dimon. You know, this is a guy that you know, shoot, he he may even be our next Treasury Secretary. I mean that. 
You know, White House would be making a great decision doing that. You know, but someone like that at the helm of a company, you know, that should be a model for a, a great leader in a company because uh, I'm sure that, you know, things probably would have been different. But then again, the company, Hewlett-Packard, was going through a transition. Anyway, enough of Hewlett-Packard. That's not the uh, the deal for today. Uh, now, getting back to Groupon, look, in that company, in my opinion, Mason is is he's not the problem. Okay, he's he's. I mean, I don't see him as being the problem right now. He he's creating a problem because he doesn't want to go. But I don't think he is the problem. The problem is the company itself. And I said earlier, you know, the company has a problem. Mason is a definite leader, and he can build a company. He, you saw that he took Groupon from nothing, and he built it into a, a massive company. I commend him on that. He should build more companies like that. Build them, build them up, sell them off. Build them up, sell them, sell them off. Nothing's wrong with that. Okay, the biggest error, what you know, for for Mason was not taking that Google offer because he would have been, you know, done and moved on to the next project. You know, but I guess listening uh, listening to the people that that took this company on this uh, little course right now wasn't the right thing to do. And, you know, right now, um, you know, Mason has to make a decision. You know, they're going to keep him on, you know, which is great. You know, again, as I said, he's a great leader, but you, is, you, you can only lead something if it's worth leading. If the company's not worth leading, why are you there? Use your use your your business acumen, use your knowledge to another project and build value. All right, honestly, Groupon is sitting on a ton of cash. Maybe you know a huge stock buyback, maybe an order for the company, possibly. Who knows? You know, or they can go look for strategic acquisitions. That's also a possibility. Uh, this is the only. The only couple of things that I see um, that's going to help the company to flow out of this situation, you know, because look, investors, they're, they're they're jittery. Institutional interest begins to dwindle down. When all this stuff starts happening, you have to make a drastic uh, move, and it has to be something that's going to that's going to help bring the company back to life. But you know, with its current business model, honestly. I don't I don't see the growth beyond where it is right now. So, you know, the stock trading at a little over four dollars a share, you know, I mean, if Mason was smart, just go and, and buy back stock. You know, and potentially, you know, you go take the company private or, or if you're gonna keep it public, restructure it and, and add some components to it that'll increase the value of the company. There's nothing wrong with increasing value. Your investors would applaud you. They would be so happy that you were innovative and you did that. Uh, but I have a feeling that Mason is uh, probably going to wind up having to make a move like that. If not, it's just going to be a disaster for the stock. Um, and that's my opinion on it. Now, um, now going back to uh, to Facebook, you know, I think that again, I think that the company uh, has uh, has legs. You know, without a doubt, it has legs. And I, I think with, with Zuckerberg, he's always kept everything quiet. He's never, you know, he only started taking, you know, doing interviews. He, he's only started recently started opening up a little bit. Uh, I believe that what he's going to uh, wind up doing, as I said earlier, he's going to continue to look at strategic acquisitions, building the value of the brand. 
okay, and I think he has, you know, I mean, a lot of this stuff's not going to come out, but you can assume or try to have a guesstimate as to what he's going to wind up doing. Look, you know, the the move out of nowhere, you know, uh, to to create an open marriage situation with Zenga, you know, wow, that was a great move for the company. Uh, that That's a fantastic move. All right, the company, um, honestly, Facebook, doing that, it opens them up to a lot of different avenues. They can actually create their own um, content, their own gaming content, their online gaming content. That can be a definite revenue, revenue stream for the company, okay, you know, with the online gaming because there's money in that. They were splitting it with Zanga, so if they took 100% of the profit, uh, yeah, there you go, adds to the bottom line. But in my opinion... Um, Facebook creating an open marriage situation with Zanga. Zanga, you know, Facebook was its business. They've had, they have other business, but in the reality of it, when 95% or 98% of your business comes from one company and they pull the rug from underneath you, I mean, the, how are you going to to actually generate revenue, especially as a public company? Where are you going to get business from? You're not going to get business from a Twitter because they don't have that stuff. Where, where are you going to get business from? You're going to work with Google? You're not going to have uh, games on Google. So, you know, Facebook is, is is their game. Okay? It's the only game in town for them. Uh, but, look, I think this, in my opinion, and I have to give my opinion, uh, Facebook crippling Zanga is strategic. Okay? And... I mean, them pulling away from them is crippling them. You know, they're not doing anything wrong. They're saying, hey, we want to do our own thing, okay, and it cripples the company. I think it's a strategic move as, you know, look, when Zanga, you know, falls through the cracks, Facebook can actually go pick up the company for pennies on the dollar if they, I mean, it's only a couple of bucks now, but they they can pick it up for a lot less than that uh, if they wanted to in order to uh, have that technology, in order to have that additional revenue stream uh, on the company's book. But I just have a strange feeling that that uh, Facebook has been speaking to other online gaming companies, and maybe they've already started to do their own stuff in-house, which would be probably the smartest move for them and would save them a lot of money if they did. They just created gaming uh, in-house if they wanted to do that as an additional revenue stream. I you know uh with their acquisition of Instagram and their their potential and I say potential because we don't know this is just a rumor that's going around uh with their acquisition of WhatsApp if they if, it looks like they're continuing to focus on the mobile space which is I I think that's what they need to do okay so whether they're going to acquire Zanga or not you know that's a gamble I'm not looking to take you know, you know the reality is that at two bucks, where are you going to go? To zero? Okay. Can it go higher? Possibly. You know, but I'd rather put my money to work somewhere else uh, as opposed to trying to make that um, that guess on that deal. All right. But uh, what we're going to do in a minute, we're going to take a quick break. All right. We uh, we're going to be coming back on the show for the second half with uh, John Dennis of Ario Capital. And he's going to be bringing some uh, some light to the fiscal cliff situation. That's you know, look, we're all worried about it. 
Um, you know, you have Republicans and Democrats. This, you know, everyone's you know jockeying for position to try to get the best deal. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I sent this out, and I and I, I tweeted myself. Um, I sent this out that I think that um, you know all all this political nonsense should be shelved. It shouldn't be about you know Republican uh, the Republicans or the Democrats or, or what whose agenda is is in play. You know what this one wants and what who want where why and all this other nonsense. This is this should be about America. This should be about rebuilding this country. We've been through a lot of devastation. Okay, we've been through financial crises. We've been through you know even with uh, Mother Nature you know dealing a, a bad hand. You know with Sandy you know that had had an impact on things. If um, if they don't come to some sort some some sort of terms, okay, and if they don't rethink this and start cutting entitlements somewhat, and you know raising taxes where they need to be raised to balance everything out, because there's nothing wrong with raising taxes and generating revenue for the company. There's nothing I mean, for the for the company, the country, but you know, the United States is the the largest company in the world for that matter. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with generating revenue for the country. And but they need to do it the right way. They need to do it strategically. They need to do it that they're not crippling people. Because if they do, if they cut defense spending, and like they're looking to do, you know that can be the loss of a million plus jobs. Okay, across the country. Now, what are these people going to do? Where are they going to go work? You're going to have, I mean, you're going to have the unemployment rate go up, but you're going to create jobs doing something else. You know, the federal government, you know, shouldn't be. You know the largest uh, employer out there, but you know they are. Um, you know you need to you know you need to have true job creation and having uh, to build small business. Okay, that is a key thing. You know you know taking embracing the entrepreneurs of this country, allowing them the opportunity to grow, allowing them the the ability you know uh, to to capital to continue to grow to hire employees, not crippling them, forcing them to have, you know, uh, certain um, um, insurance policies or, or certain things and, and raising the taxes on them by a dramatic uh, amount. You know, how are they going to survive? How are they going to grow? They're not. And, that, and that's the reality. You know, they're not. So hopefully, I know um, some sort of agreement is going to come to place. There's, there's no doubt about it. They're going to come and they're going to make an agreement. We just don't know what it is yet. Um, I'm hoping it's for the better of the country because it would be sad for us to have another uh, leg of a recession and uh, we don't need it at this point. You have so many companies just issuing special dividends right now that it's insane. They're issuing special dividends because they're trying to avoid that taxation next year. All right, there, and it's funny. Um, I said on the last show that they're, you know, it looks like they're looking out for the uh, the shareholders, but at the end of the day, a lot of the insiders of some of the major companies like Walmart and things like that, companies of that nature, you know, a lot of the uh, officers, a lot of, you know, a lot of the board, they own a lot of stock. So getting those special dividends helps line their pockets as well. So don't fool yourself. It's not just about the investors; it's about them too. But that's okay. You know we're you know it's capitalism at its best. Uh, so, but but anyway, you know I'm just hoping that they do um, come to some sort of resolve, 
so that we can move forward and have growth. You know, because look, Obama was reelected, and everybody, everyone has something to say about something. He came at the wrong time. He did, no doubt. He came at the wrong time. Now, these next four years, he owns it. These are his four years. Question is, what is he going to do? Is he going to correct the problem, or are we going to have a double dip? We're going to, you know, we're going to be in a recession again, you know, coming coming next year. Hope not. I hope not. I hope that they do the right thing to help uh, build this economy, and that's what it's about. You know, I I would hate to think that we're going to, you know, continue to have to, you know, be in this this amazing, incredible, ridiculous deficit. And uh, I'm just hoping that they they do come to uh, some great terms, not only for me but for everyone. So, well, I guess we'll see uh, what's going to happen. But on that note. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back on the show with John Dines, because he's going to give us some insight. I'm just uh, stating my opinion, my view, but he's going to give us some insight on what's going on, and hopefully he can shed some light on the fiscal cliff and what's going on with private equity as we head into 2013, because I believe that private equity is also uh, going to have an impact next year for growing business, and it's going to be an interesting, interesting playing field. But on that note, we'll be right back. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Money Never Sleeps. As you know, as we've been saying, as the president has said, he has his pen in hand. He is ready to sign a middle-income tax cut. Last July, that legislation passed the United States Senate. Similar, exact same bill was introduced in the House at that time, and uh, since then we have been asking the Republican leadership to bring the middle income tax cut to the floor. The clock is ticking, the year is ending, it's really important with tax legislation uh, for it to happen now. Uh, we're calling upon the, uh, the Republican leadership in the House to bring this legislation to the floor next week. We believe that not doing that would be holding middle-income tax cuts hostage to tax cuts for the rich. Tax cuts for the rich, which do not create jobs, just increase the deficit, heaping mountains of debt onto future generations. Well, when the last minute is the last day of the month, I think that that's not right. We all know what is at play here. Everybody knows that we have to have cuts, we have to have growth, and we have to have revenue. So why are we stalling? This delay uh, is harmful to confidence for consumers. It's harmful for confidence for the markets. It's a, a holiday shopping season. Wouldn't it be better for there to be a clear message, the sooner the better? So I don't, I don't know what the wait is for. It's not as if we have to get more information, that there are certain variables that we don't know about. It's very clear. And every bipartisan, I'll end with this, every bipartisan group that has, uh, that has um, addressed this issue has called for revenue cuts in spending. Well, everyone knows about Lincoln. It just hasn't been a relevant brand. So all we had to do was introduce great new products like the new MKZ and an all-new dealership experience, and we're off to the races. Well, outside of North America, the market we're really focused on now is China. Uh, we've announced just recently that Lincoln will go to China in 2014. 
and we'll have an exclusive dealer network that only sells Lincoln and a world-class um, experience. One of the reasons why Chinese are so interested in Lincoln is it has such a beautiful 90-year history. They really want to know more about Lincoln. They love authentic luxury brands like Lincoln. They have a beautiful past. Uh, tonight, we continue a tradition here at the White House by honoring some extraordinary people who have no business being on the same stage together. <laughs> We've got Buddy Guy sitting next to Dustin Hoffman. We've got Dave Letterman alongside one of the greatest ballerinas of all time. I don't think Dave dances. All three living members of Led Zeppelin in one place. So this is a remarkable evening and it speaks to something that has always made this country great. Uh, the idea that here in America, more than any other place on earth, uh, we are free to follow our own passions, explore our own gifts, wherever they may lead us, and people from all around the world come here uh, to make sure that uh, they too can uh, provide us the incredible gifts uh, that they have. Tonight's honorees uh, didn't just take up their crafts to make a living, they did it because they couldn't imagine living any other way. And that passion took each of them from humble beginnings to the pinnacle of their profession. And tonight, in the People's House, we have a chance to say thank you. I looked at him and said, you can't be serious. I, I, I've just never seen anything like it. You know, we've got seven weeks between Election Day uh, and the end of the year. And, uh, and three of those weeks have been wasted. Right now, I would say we're nowhere. Period. We're nowhere. Uh, the, we've put a serious offer on the table by putting revenues up there to try to get this question resolved. Uh, but the White House has responded with virtually nothing. They've actually asked for more revenue than they've been asking for the whole entire time. Going over the cliff uh, will hurt our economy, will hurt job creation in our country. It's not fair to the American people. And this isn't an issue about Democrats or Republicans. My goodness, this is about our country. Uh, and we get, we get serious about dealing with the problems at the end of the year, and we need to get serious about our deficit and our debt uh, that are burying our children's future. All right, welcome back to Money Never Sleeps, and you heard it from Boehner himself. Uh, we're back here with uh, John Dennis of REO Capital. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate you having me back. Uh, no, I love having you on the show because we get to talk about the fiscal cliff and uh, private equity, and this is a topic that so many people are interested in. So, uh, you know, tell us tell us what your insight is this week. Well, I've uh, I put some notes together, and, and uh, uh, according to uh, Las Vegas, the odds are at seventy percent will put a, a deal together 30 percent chance will go over the cliff so the odds so far are in uh, favor of a deal passing uh, and especially after today um, you know Boehner did uh, put together a, a new 10-year 2.2 trillion dollar blueprint uh, for President Obama uh, to a proposal to look at that calls for increasing the eligibility age for Medicare 
and lowering mm-hmm. the cost of living hikes for Social Security benefits uh, altogether. Um, he calls it more of a, a credible plan uh, than what was proposed to him originally. And viewing uh, Chris Wallace uh, on Fox News over the weekend, um, the uh, uh, Timothy Geithner, the Treasury sec- Secretary, uh, did not put any credible uh, spending cuts uh, for Medicare uh, down, uh, and thus the, the reason for Boehner saying um, he felt the, their proposal uh, was lacked credibility. Um, but uh, this uh, new plan looks like um, uh, the math would produce uh, 2.2 trillion in savings over the coming decade, 800 billion in higher taxes, 600 billion in savings from health care programs like Medicare, $300 billion from other proposals like forcing federal workers to contribute more towards their pensions, and $300 billion in additional savings from the Pentagon budget uh, and domestic programs funded by Congress. So, you know, it, it appears that they're trying to uh, come to the middle and uh, propose something that would have a little bit of of all types of savings um, in in different areas uh, mm-hmm. that would um, go ahead and um, allow us to to pay down that that deficit, and uh, it's something we should do because right now we're spending um, two hundred over two hundred billion dollars a year in interest just on the deficit alone. Um, the the uh, the numbers that I got uh, over my uh, fact-checking were um, $3.9 billion uh, every day the deficit uh, increases. Wow. And right now the deficit is $16.3 trillion. And every citizen's share of that debt would equal out to be $52,171. That's the check that each one of us would have to write. Wow! In order, in order for 313, almost 314 million Americans. I mean, how does something like this? How does this get so out of control? The the uh, the deficit um, spiraled um, as during his administration, uh, President Obama increased. In his first four-year term, the deficit by $6.4 trillion on on spending to try to boost the economy. And um, that was more than uh, any other president in in their term. Um, And many feel that this type of spending – uh, is really robbing our children of mm-hmm. their future. We're we're putting this burden, and they said that if the average person in this country makes about fifty thousand dollars a year, and that if the average person were to try to uh, pay down the deficit, that it would take the average person. Thirty-six thousand years. Wow. To pay to pay down the deficit. 
That's that's so, an incredible it, number. It, it's it's uh, it's something that um, you know during his term and and uh, the article uh, that went on to say that in order to make uh, his campaign look good, that he has um, exploded the largest amount of debt in U.S. history. That I'm not I'm not shocked of I'm not shocked of that that information because you know I mean look all this spending John all this spending that has transpired you know what are we seeing for it I I don't see the results I don't see any positive motion in helping the economy do you No matter of fact they said that because the uh, the deficit spending has increased so dramatically that um, People, corporations have literally cut back on uh, hiring, and it's cost already our economy over 200,000 jobs uh, because of, of the fear of going over that fiscal cliff. Yeah, and it's 200,000 jobs and counting because you have defense, defense companies that are actually bracing for this because they're, they're starting to you know, contemplate layoffs and things of that nature, and some of them are doing it already. They're bracing for well, because they're going to get they'll get cut back. You're right, it's, and it's not only defense. If you look at Wall Street, uh, Goldman Sachs is already cutting back. Um, uh, J.P. Morgan's cutting back. All the major firms on Wall Street are already trying to anticipate, uh, due to the higher taxes, you know that what will what effect it'll have on the markets, and. What do what do they need to have as far as uh, actual uh, human capital uh, necessary, bare bones to to get by? Uh, they're not trying to uh, be ready for any type of of um, uh, recovery at all, uh, because uh, no one can see out that far. Uh, because typically those firms have always looked at. Um, you know, trying to have enough staff on board to cover the the, the cri- financial crisis, and then knowing that the financial crisis will uh, uh, evade itself and, and come back, that they will have enough staff on board to uh, bounce back with with the economy. They're not even looking out that far. They're looking to survive for now. Correct. Correct. They're looking to survive this this whole fiasco, and and again, it's not going to get you know any easier. And honestly, I I think that a lot of companies have been living or functioning in excess of what as you, as you mentioned their bare bones, um, what the you know bare bones what they need to actually have their business functioning. You know, uh, I guess sometimes it's better to be lean and mean than uh, obese. True. True. And. Uh... You know, it's interesting what um, you know. Both sides, as we've heard, are are um, putting their proposals on the table. But what's what's interesting is, and and I have to agree with Senator Mitch McConnell and and Senator uh, Congressman Boehner. He said, if the president is serious about joining us in our efforts to reduce the deficit and protect the economy, why doesn't he get off the campaign trail and sit down with us in the White House and work out a proposal 
you know. I, I agree with that. Is, he's been on the campaign trail. He's been on the social media, on his Facebook page, and, and on Twitter, uh, trying to drum up support for uh, uh, $1.6 trillion in tax increases with no real proposal for spending cuts or entitlement reform. You know, and and, and Geithner didn't. We got to protect the, he says, the seniors uh, with Medicare and with Social Security. But yet, I I like what uh, Boehner said. He said the Social Security Trust Fund has nothing in it. Congress has spent it all. And he said we've got ten thousand baby boomers like me retiring every day. Yeah. And and where's the money coming from? You know, and, and why is why is the money not there in the first place? <laughs> you know, everyone pays into it. It's it's, it's amazing. So, it really is. So we've we we we've, we've got to really sit down and uh have both sides really come to the, the table and um hash out some some tax increases and spending cuts because I don't care which side of the political party you're on. Uh, economics 101 dictates that you you can't pay down a deficit solely by tax increases. You can't keep spending, spending, spending. It says um, we're seeing this country, as we speak, end up like Greece and mm-hmm. Italy and Spain and, to some extent, France where their debt has risen to a point where they can't borrow at a reasonable interest rate anymore to pay down that debt. And and, and it's funny to me that if you look at the markets, you know, uh, Spain, the bank, I believe it's Spain, the banking system actually went um, and they uh, went for a safety net. Okay, and that news, you know, European markets started moving up. You had money, you know, like kind of rushing the European markets and kind of leaving U.S. markets, so it's it's just it's just a crazy time that we're in, John. I uh, and I agree with what you were saying. You know, with uh, what the Boehner said. You know, sit down. You know, going. I mean, Obama going on Twitter and speaking to uh, a few people, sending some tweets out, this and that. That's not solving the problem. You have to sit. Everyone, they should just lock everyone in a room, come to a solution, figure it out. Well, that's what you get paid for. That's the job. That's right. There was an analyst today out of Texas, out of San Antonio, that uh, posted a petition on the White House website uh, asking for signatures to back her proposal that would uh, stop all paychecks for all congressmen and senators until they work out a a budget. And she said, uh, which is true, she said, if I went ahead and kept spending, um, and uh, didn't really address uh, the issues with my company, I, I'd be fired. And and it's like like I told uh, some of my associates, this would be similar to having a, a ten thousand dollar line of credit uh, with your with uh, Citibank on your on your Mastercard, and then every year you spent you spend that ten thousand. And you go back to Citibank and you ask for an increase for another ten thousand. 
and then you go back the following year, and you keep doing this year after year, asking for increases until the point where uh, you can no longer uh, even afford to pay that the interest on that deficit that, that you've kept borrowing against. And that's, that's in reality what, what we've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly what, we, what we've done. And, you, again, you have politicians voting on spending more money, and this has been happening year in and year out, and it's, right now we are we are. And, you know, I, I, I kind of – the thing that, that that comes to me when I view this whole situation is moral hazard. Where's, where's the accountability for, for make, letting all this happen? I, I, don't, I don't understand it. We, it, it it's just talked about um, uh, how much the deficit has spiraled out of control since the, when, the, when Bush, uh, George Wallace Bush, took office, the deficit was $3 trillion. Mm-hmm. And now it's sixteen trillion, and they they wow. think by by by, um, um, yeah, by the next four years we could see it at twenty four trillion. Wow, hey John, let me ask you something. If if you like your kid or or your wife, if she was or they were spending out of control, and you know you know kind of using the credit card and maxing it out, everything else. My question: What would you do with the, the, a normal sane person? What would you do? You take the card and well, cut it. That's you right. Know, you, you cut. Stop, you stop cut the bleeding. The, stop. Yeah. Stop the spending immediately, and yes. uh, and yet, and yet, uh, President Obama wants to continue to spend money on um, Medicare and on other entitlements and Social Security. Oh, they they also stated. And we talked last week about this, how it's become a Ponzi scheme. And the evidence has come out that for the baby boomers, for every $1 they're pay, they paid into Social Security Trust Fund, they're presently getting $3 back. Wow. So, so the, 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 the people are living longer, and they're taking more out than what they paid into it. And, of course, everyone – including my own mother, thinks that, well, I worked hard all my life. I deserve it. No, I'm sorry, mother. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve to go ahead and collect my money that's that's entitled for me. Mm-hmm. And that's you know? because, again, accountability. You know, money's, you know, swooshing here, swooshing there, and no one knows, you know, it, it's <laughs> – you know, it's it's funny you say Ponzi's game. It, it's like um, it's 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 like a street game. It's like someone's rolling the dice and just gonna see what's gonna happen. And if you win, you win. You lose, you lose. You just go on. You play another game. This is not a this is not Vegas, not Atlantic City. This is America, and all the all the spending, all the the gambling with other people's money, because that's what it is, or the spending of other people's money. You know. Um, uh, all that's everything has to come to a halt because if it doesn't, and we're going to keep facing this is going to be a problem. It's not going to go away. And those commercials about China owning the U.S. scare the crap out of me. Right. Well, you were right earlier in your program when you talked about uh, deal makers are scrambling as the cliff nears. That was in Friday's Wall Street Journal, where 
uh, I think it's gotten a little bit ludicrous where Costco uh, CEO and and board is going to borrow money from the bond market in order to pay a special dividend because interest rates Mm -hmm. are so low that instead of paying out that special dividend um, from their cash, they're going to go ahead and borrow at, a, at lower rates and pay a special dividend before this uh, fiscal cliff nears. And mm-hmm. you're right, many more people are paying off these, these special dividends. Uh, but in, in, in my world, private equity managers are bracing for these higher taxes in 2013 and their final weeks of uh, their uh, investments and uh capital gains and shifting um uh, to face these uh these higher taxes and um uh what they are uh doing right now is uh they are on their share of uh buyout deals um and uh, uh they're looking to uh to collect that carried interest uh on these deals uh before that fiscal cliff looms so that um that they can go ahead and get paid by year end uh these um um these benefits in in the private equity sector uh, that right now are are under exemptions um mm-hmm. but um that will not be uh as we as we go into uh uh the new year and um of course many uh many benefits uh, such as the, the capital gains, are going to affect not just the private equity sector, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's also going to affect uh, people who have their uh, 401ks in the stock market and are going to be subject to those higher capital gains taxes, and even people they, that are in the, just the working class that payroll additional payroll taxes, they're going to see less in their paychecks. And it is going to stifle job growth, and it's going to be something that um, pe- people will have to adjust uh, to the pinch that they're feeling. Um, but um, unfortunately, we've gotten to a point where there's, there's there is no other way around it. No, they have to time the belt and move forward. And, and you know, I'm glad that you brought up the uh, Costco thing because um, what I mean, in, in the month of November, I, I believe that was the the highest um, the highest number of bonds that were issued ever in this right. past month. Okay, I think it was right. to the tune of about a hundred billion. And again, that's that's companies going out, and you know, when you when you have an Amazon, you know, that can go and borrow, you know, whatever three four billion dollars, whatever it may be. At a, a better rate than the U.S. government can borrow, that's uh, you got to question <laughs> what's going on. Right, right. You know, here's a, a ridiculous number. It, it said that if your family earns fifty thousand dollars a year, and if you were to spend none of that on food, rent, transportation, income tax, or even pursuing your own happiness, and if you take all of your family's income and uh and uh to uh, pay down uh just um the sixteen trillion dollars 
uh, it would take for one individual family making $50,000 a year, it would take 512,000 years, or 512 million years, 512 wow. million years, excuse me. I was missing three zeros. That's, <laughs> that doesn't matter. It's a, it's a lot. <laughs> It it, it 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 says you know it talks about sanity returning to Washington, mm-hmm. and and that's absolutely what we need is is that sanity returning back to Washington. Well, there has to be some sanity there, and I think I think people have to go and speak. I know that Geithner he's on his way out. You know they're talking about Jamie Jamie Dimon of uh, J.P. Uh, Morgan Chase uh, stepping in. I think he would be a great choice. Uh, to be the Treasury Secretary, I I think that um, you know you have so many so much so many things are in flux. And the one problem that I have with for both congressmen and Senate, you know what? You guys, people take they they're taking a break and they're going home to the, the family, everything else, while all this stuff is happening. I uh, you know I believe that they should all be there together in one area, make this happen one way or the other come to terms make a deal don't sleep whatever you need to do this is what you get paid to do you, you need to help to, to, to for us to avoid going over that cliff because we go over that cliff you know it's going to be uh oh my god it's going to be a hail mary all around it was, it was interesting that the, the the republicans uh when they got uh timothy geithner's uh proposal uh, they responded with laughter, and uh, and they and their their answer was, "You can't be serious." And the Democrats, uh, they said, are are deeply skeptical of raising Medicare age and Social Security age, um, when in fact um, these are entitlement programs that are a large portion of that deficit uh, mm-hmm. that we have to. Uh, modify. Um, so, you know, even the seniors are not going to be exempt from feeling the pinch. They're going to have to contribute as well. It can't be just the middle class. It's got to be every class. Yeah, I mean, I, everyone has to make uh, adjustments in their lives for this. And again, it's it's just something that transpired, you know, to that for us to go and point fingers at this point doesn't matter. We're, you know, forget about all the finger pointing. Come to a resolve. Let's move forward. Get things together. You know, help. You know, create jobs. Help create. You know, a revenue stream for this country so that we can continue to grow and be the power that we are. Uh, I don't know how. You know what their thinking is. You know, I mean, Mitt Romney when he was running for office, one thing that he was saying that. You know, each state should be accountable and help to build their state, which is great. Right. I think that should happen. I mean, if you look at Florida, they're looking to create jobs over there. They're looking, you know, um, what was it, Rick Scott? He's looking to to create the uh, the next Silicon Valley in Florida. You know, now they're doing that in, in, in uh, Nevada. Okay, yeah, they're doing it in Chicago and Illinois. They're looking, to, they're, they're looking to grow organically, so to speak, and create something from nothing and and trying to build and I think that there should be more encouragement from that you know having people on public assistance and and things of that nature I get it some people need the help but you know what bring things to a point 
not only are we helping them, also give them a skill so that they can go and get get a job so they can get off public assistance. I mean that that's the that's the big that's a big mystery of the world, right? Of this country anyway. We don't, we, you're, you're right. We, we don't want to create dependency. We want to create opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, and and now with everything happening and you you made mention of, you know, with the uh the average income, the average family, the household income and what what they're looking at. Now, if you have you have two parents, let's say they have teenage kids, they're ready to go to school. Guess what? They can't afford it. Guess what? There are no grants out there for these kids to go to school. Now these kids are out in the workforce. And what does that affect? Not only that family, not only that kid's future, also affects the academic uh, facilities, the universities and colleges. Now they're not getting the revenue stream from people going to the school. So this it just there's a, there's a domino effect that just keeps going around. I, I can't fathom how they come up with the math that says that cutting taxes only leads to higher deficits when it's been proven that the way you stimulate small businesses is to create a tax code that gives the small business owner the incentive to buy new equipment, to hire new employees, to to go ahead and invest in their company structure um, and, and higher taxes is only going to have a detrimental effect on that type of growth. And mm-hmm. my biggest concern is that in the private equity sector, you're going to see, uh, as we talked about last week, more people taking the golden parachute out from their companies uh, because they can't afford between the new health care costs and the higher taxes and the payroll taxes and the ordinary income taxes that uh, is going to uh, it's going to cause deals for me uh, because I'm going to be able to buy these companies for thirty cents on the dollar. Right. But but uh, for for those people who were employed at those companies, you're going to see unemployment raise uh, rates rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of this deficit. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with you a thousand percent, John, because now this environment, the environment they're creating, you have so much money that's sitting on the sideline waiting, waiting to come back into the market. They're waiting. The, their money's not gone. They're waiting. Private equity, hedge funds, individual, you know, just wealthy individuals that, that are just waiting. Okay, and when the opportunity comes, they will grab these companies. You're going to have corporate raiders coming out of, of the woodwork to go swoop up these companies because they know in a matter of four or five years, all this is going to be over and they're going to, they'll be growing. But for the time being, they're going to suffer. So it's like, you know, kind of cleaning up after a bloodbath. You're just picking up the pieces. Right. And they've already, they've already mentioned in the journal about uh, KKR and, and Goldman Sachs and uh, and, and even Jamie Dimon's J.P. Morgan, all of them uh, looking at deals uh, now um, that uh, uh, will be even uh, more lucrative uh, next year. Uh, this year uh, they haven't made the kind of bonuses, they haven't made the kind of um, um, uh, revenues that they've made in prior years. 
Um, this year has been tighter, uh, but uh, a lot of these firms like KKR are predicting uh, a much more lucrative year next year. And the thing is with KKR, I mean, look, uh, Henry Kravis, he was the innovator of the leverage buyout. Uh, and I think that now going into the situation, you have KKR, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, all these major firms, even major you know firms overseas, you know, that are sitting on the sideline waiting to get involved, I, I think that when they go and they, they grab these companies at, I mean, for, like you said, pennies on the dollar, they're not going to have any problem getting to mon- the money to take them over if they need to leverage it because the valuation right. is going to be there. So it's going to be easier for them to actually make this happen. And right. it's going to be a Hail Mary, as I said. <laughs> Let's, let's face it, the, the cost of, of borrowing is cheap, and mm-hmm. um, so the, the leverage they're going to get on these deals is going to yep. be phenomenal. Uh, I'm already yep. looking at, at companies with 60% profits margins in, uh, in some of these deals. Um, you know, and, of course, when you mention those kind of numbers – you know the, the 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 doubt comes out. You know, people are come on, John's really. You know, sixty uh, percent. Well, uh, those are the kind of numbers: thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent, sixty percent. These are going to be the the type of, of of profit margins that you're going to see in uh, the upcoming couple of years, um, uh, because uh, people are going to. Uh, uh, take those parachutes and just parachute right out. Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be more of the norm than the exception, and uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting road for sure, but I do think, and I do agree with you, that, um, you know, the private equity, the, the money that's sitting there, you know, of those companies, they're going to benefit like nobody's business, and as much as, you know, they're trying to fix things here, or they're they're you know, going back and forth with Obama, Congress, Senate, all this stuff that's going on. Uh, they're missing the big picture. No one has a has a forward view of what's going to wind up happening. What they're doing now with with you know letting things fall down or letting all this up happen. This should have been this should have happened four years ago. Just just let everything drop and then pick up the pieces. We would we would be better off today. Now, I think that if if uh, if we look back. What's clearly evident to me is that, yes, we need uh, to go ahead and spend money on our roads and bridges. We need mm-hmm. to have that upkeep uh, with those uh, types of uh, projects. But uh, you cannot stimulate an economy that's in a, a recession simply by throwing money at it and, and spending uh, because there are those consequences uh, by overspending. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what we've done is we've overspent, and uh, now uh, you're right. China's coming in, buying up our real estate uh, yeah. in Russia. Nevada, Florida. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, they're buying it, um, and um, it, it's going to be like uh, years ago when Japan was buying up all the real estate in Hawaii and, and in uh, California. Yep, and that, that that's we're going to have that situation because I know, you know, as far as real estate is concerned, you know, you go to Miami, you know, that market has been on fire and it's been growing. 
you know, granted, they have a cycle. They, they have a 10-year cycle they go on, and, you know, it, it kind of slips back down. But right now, the Russians are coming, <laughs> and they're coming in, and they're buying these these houses. They're buying these houses that are not worth $2 million. They're worth twenty, thirty, forty, sixty, eighty million dollars. So you have real money coming in here just buying a vacation home. Nobody sees it. It's funny. And, and what's frightening is that the average American citizen on the street really is trying his damnedest to, to survive. And mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the tsunami uh, out at sea. You know, it's 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 hit Hawaii and it's on its way towards California, and and nobody's really looking out on the horizon to see that huge tidal wave coming in on shore, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's it's coming and, they, and it's coming fast. They're calling it tax Maggedon. Taxmageddon, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> and, 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 you know, people have a misconception that come January 1st, like Y2K, everything's going to, you know, stop and the world's going to end. You know, it, it, does, it's not, it doesn't happen that quickly, but people gradually are going to start seeing the change. But the change is going to affect their pocketbook, going to affect their, their lifestyle, can affect everything, and, and more. I think more important, more importantly to me, anyway, it's going to affect that next generation. Well, in the average, it's, when the average American who's living on fifty thousand dollars a year has got a budget that they're living on, and when they start to see that paycheck a little lighter because of those payroll taxes, because of those Obamacare taxes, because of the uh, uh, increase. Uh, income taxes, then all of a sudden now they've got to make some tough choices on what are they going to trim. And uh, it's going to be vacations, and and it's going to be um, uh, possibly dipping into their food budget, and it's going to affect the way the average family um, has gotten by, but they're going to see that paycheck just a little bit lighter and it's not mm-hmm. just the uh, the 3% who are making 250000 and above. It's going to be the average guy making 50000 and above. Yeah, and, and this is the thing that, that kind of throws me off is that Obama, you know, and his, his whole campaign, and even right now with Facebook and Twitter and all the social media and, and the campaigning that is continuing to go on and on, it's like enough already. Um, it's this is the class that he was. He said he was trying to protect, but this is the class that's going to get hurt the most. The the math on his side doesn't add up as much as he's trying to imply. The math on the GOP side doesn't add up. No. But but it you know you you can't throw rocks at, at when you live in a glass house. You can't go and say that other person's math doesn't add up when, in fact, your math doesn't add up. Well, I think they all have to sit down. They have to figure this out, you know. Um, And, again, you know, Boehner's right and you're right in saying that 
the the campaigning right now that the you won, <laughs> you won. You you you're the president for the next four years. You're here to lead the country and get us out of this problem. Because now, and I said this earlier in the show, that Obama, his first uh, term, he inherited a lot of crap. Great. You know what? That's four years. That's it. For these next four years, he own he owns these years. Anything that happens here, it's him, all him. He can either be a hero or he can be known as the president that crippled this country. Right, right. And, 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 and what, we, people, what people don't realize also is every time he gets on that President One airplane to go to another city to campaign for his tax uh, increases, the mm-hmm. cost of jet fuel and the cost of running that airplane is in the, the tens of thousands of dollars each flight, each destination, from New York, to, or from Washington just to New York, it's twenty thousand dollars in fuel. Not to mention the cost of the staff, the the, the Secret Service, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. There's that there's that additional spending right there, just to go ahead and convince the rest of America that we just need tax increases and we don't need spending cuts. Well, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember when the auto crisis was going on, and I remember when GM, Chrysler, you know, Ford, they had to go to Capitol Hill. I remember the the CEO of GM, he didn't take a plane over there. He drove in a General Motors car from Detroit to the Hill. Yeah, the second set of of hearings he did that because in the first set of hearings – one of the congressmen called him stupid for flying in on his company jet. Literally told the CEO of a Fortune 500 company that he was stupid. So now, now what do you call the president when he does it? But that, but that's okay because it because <laughs> it's the left. Yeah, yeah you know. it's crazy. You look and then. I'm all for, you know, he's a leader of our country. I'm all for him, you know, being, you know, treated well and, and you know, being able to expedite things as far as travel is concerned. But unnecessary travel, to, to, it doesn't make any sense to me. All I know is that if everyone's tightening the belt, that should be everyone. And any great leader, you know, you know they'll, they'll lead you down a road, but they're going to lead by example, not – you know, do as they say, not as they do. And then that's kind of what we're looking at here. You have people on the Hill that are saying, do as I say, but don't do as I do, because I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep spending, but do as I say, stop spending. How, how do you do that? And, and so many people want to kick the can down the road, don't cut me, cut the next guy. Yeah. And that's not the way it's going to get done. Well, you can't go ahead we're going to have to make some tough choices on on the seniors. Yeah. We're going to have yeah. to make some tough choices on taxes, and it's got to be a bipartisan uh, agreement. And let's let's see if that happens, John. Let's see if that happens because right now the way things look, you know, um, I mean, are they going to make it by the end of the year? I don't know because they they they're going to start taking off for the holidays, and that's going to be it. And then we're going to go into the new year. With, with, with this nonsense on the table, and I think that's wrong. I don't care. If you have to stay there Christmas Eve 
to figure this out. That's your job. That's what you get paid for. Pay me to right. do that. I'll do it. Okay. Right. If I have to, if I, if I have to balance the budget in my my business, have to balance the budget in my household, I will work and burn the midnight oil to make sure that happens. They should have that same accountability. Man, these guys are are knocking down two fifty plus cost of living increases plus full health care, uh, the best health care. Um, and uh, they've got their constituents that are counting on them. And um, now I'm encouraged that uh, both sides have put their plans on the table. Mm-hmm. And now it's a matter of, of saying, you've got, you propose this, how about this? And, and mm-hmm. as I've said in, in, in my negotiations, negotiations are all about compromise. It's all mm-hmm. about both parties coming to an agreement, both parties giving and taking a little bit, but right. but both parties are going to have to give a little bit to come to some type of a middle agreement, middle mm-hmm. ground, so that we can go ahead and get this. And, and when you think about it, $2.2 trillion over 10 years, that's not a lot of spending cuts when the deficit is at sixteen point three trillion. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's they, over they ten can years. Fig- yeah, they can figure this whole thing out. It has to do with them wanting to. And you mentioned the constituents and and how you know the officials that that have been you know voted in. They're worried about their own butts. They're worried about their next term. Okay, that shouldn't be the case. You, 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 sometimes, you know, you may be doing the right thing for the for the people, and they may not think you are, but they'll figure it out soon enough when everything is done, and they'll say, okay, you did the right thing for us, even though we didn't think it was the right thing. And you, sometimes as a leader, you need to do that, and I think that they need to do that, and I think that they have, they have to stop trying to cover their, you know, their own future, okay, by doing the right thing for this country at this point. And you can only hope. You know, I mean, that's why you, you have them in office, to do the right thing for you and do the right thing for this country. So let's hope uh, they start figuring it out, John, because, uh, right. you know, this, this is not something that's going to go away tomorrow. Well, one one thing that I'll, I'll leave you with is that we've, we've got to take a page from history. When we go back to the Reagan administration, President Reagan agreed at that time, after the uh, Carter administration, to to some tax increases. And in that bill was uh, – was supposed to be uh, some spending cuts along with the tax increases. So the bill that President Reagan signed was supposed to include uh, um, budget cuts as well as uh, tax increases. After it was signed, the tax increases went into effect, but the spending never was cut. So we need to look back at the history of of what happened and and I think this is why Boehner is is so adamant about getting it a plan down in writing from uh the from President Obama's administration that includes both the spending cuts as well as the tax increases because uh we we know that one party stands for bigger government one party stands for smaller government one party stands for uh, for small business. The other party stands for 
take, uh, making people dependent on government. Yeah, yeah, and and, that, and that's that's the wrong road because it's like being uh, honestly, it's like being a drug addict. You're you're dependent on the substance. Okay, you need to take it away for them not to be dependent on it. You know, you take you you kind of minimize stuff and get you know, you can't you can't create people dependent on the on the government because that happens. Okay, you know you're going to stifle growth because no one's going to want to go and build anything. Where with the this entrepreneurship? Is, that's right, Lou. This is the greatest country in the world where people come over here to make a better life because it's the quote-unquote land of opportunity and that if you put your mind to it, you can go ahead and create that small business. Or in the past, we've been able to create that small business idea and watch it develop and watch it grow. And, And that's been the backbone of America is having that dream fulfilled, having that idea, and, and working hard at making that idea uh, grow. And, and it's been the, the small business owners that have been the backbone of the growth in America. Yeah, so we've got to continue that entrepreneurial spirit, as you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we need to because that's the only thing that's going to take us out of this problem. But, again, you know, we, we, we all live in a real world, and what's going to happen is going to happen. Uh, hopefully, you know, they come to some sort of um, some sort of medium so that they we can kind of move forward. But everyone's going to get hit. Everyone's going to get hit, and you're going to have private equity, hedge funds, you know, and then the big money just waiting to scoop up the mess and clean it up and benefit. You know, I mean, like yourself, you know, in your in your area, John. I mean, you're going to have a lot of opportunities that, that are going to come down the pike, and more so than in the past three four years you're going to be able to cherry-pick what you're going to work with. It's, it's true, though. We're going to see uh, more opportunity for, uh, for those accredited investors um, who are going to be exposed or, or be allowed to look at uh, these type of, uh, of private uh, deals that are going to be more prevalent uh, as the years develop um, because of the sale of these assets. And, it, and it's going to be in real estate. It's going to be in technology. It's going to be in uh, uh, clean tech, clean technology. Um, it's going to be in biotechnology. Uh, we're going to – I'm seeing it across the board in, in, uh, in different areas that um, people are looking at um, – Oh, in aviation, aerospace. I mean, they're looking at yep. it in, in all all areas. America's on sale. America is on sale, <laughs> and and that and that's what it comes down to, you know. And for for any uh, listeners out there that are accredited investors, I, I would urge you uh, to go to areocapitalllc.com because uh, John he's uh, he's amazing at what he does. And he has his fingers on the pulse of the private equity sector. And, uh, you know, he, he, John, I know that you're getting opportunities and different things. And can come next year, come 2013, you're going to get a lot of deals coming down the pike where people can actually benefit by linking up with you. So uh, I think it'd be smart on their end because because nothing is, we could talk about it all day. The reality is that this, this taxation, is a reality. It 
taxes are going to go up. Capital gain, right. all this stuff's going to happen, and opportunities going to open up anyway. It, it, and there is going to be that silver lining in, in the cloud that are, are going to, for, for those who are more sophisticated and astute and are looking at uh, alternatives to the typical equity and bond markets, uh, they're going to see uh, deals on the equity side. And, and, and I'm seeing them both with both equity and debt combined to, to provide uh, you know, a, a, as I mentioned before, a, a 10% coupon and uh, and a 30% IRR on the uh, on the funds. Um, so um, there are uh, all they have to do is go to my blog and and read uh, some of the types of of companies that that we're in discussions with uh, to be able to to get um, a flavor, an idea, so to speak. Of uh, mm-hmm. the types of things that are are already developing before we even reach this cliff. Yeah, well, I, I think that what you're writing is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, um, like individuals like yourself, companies like your that like what you do, there's going to be a lot of benefit coming. And I think that you know, you, with the accredited investors that are out there, it's you know they're going to start getting shut out because you know a lot of these private equity firms are going to start. Locking the gates because they can't, you know, they can only take in so much capital. Well, and speaking of of that, uh, I mean, there are central banks as well as uh, um, uh, George Soros and and guys like him who are racing to buy uh, hard assets like gold and real estate. Oh, yeah. And and, uh, buying up, and and they're looking at, at. Prices, because of the uncertainty in these markets right now, they're looking at the possibility of gold hitting 2,400 an ounce by the summer of 2013, with the possibility of gold hitting $8,800 an ounce by the summer of 2014. That that would be incredible. You know, I remember when gold, you know, uh, back in the early 2000s, I think it was like maybe 2005. Okay, it was about three hundred and something dollars a share, maybe four hundred. I mean, four hundred dollars an ounce. I'm sorry, it was it was in that range. And now, now look at us. And now it's even going to go further. And if it does, if Soros is right, and it does hit those levels and it, it hits those numbers, or if the reports are correct, uh, it's going to be a melee, and it's going to be incredible. So those that are looking to get married, you better start looking at a different metal. <laughs> Buy that ring now before yeah, buy- we go ahead and go over the fiscal cliff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, John, as always, it's great to have you on Money Never Sleeps. You know, you bring a lot of flavor uh, to the show and a lot of information that our listeners uh, definitely get a benefit from. So I thank you for coming on. And, uh, you know, for our listeners, definitely go to REOCapitalLLC.com. Uh, find out more about John and what he does because he is good at what he does. That's why he's on the show, and uh, he takes the time to uh, to share this uh, with you so that you can get uh, better educated not only with what's going on in the world and you know in, in the country, but also you know the opportunities for accredited investors that'll be coming down the pike. And you'll also have crowdfunding situations that uh, and we'll talk about another time. But it's going to get interesting. Lou, I appreciate uh, being on the show. 
Thank, thank you, John. And we'll we'll have you on next week as well because every week it's something different, without a doubt. <laughs> thank, thank you again. And, yeah, and thank thank you guys for listening. And we'll be back with you next uh, next Monday, seven o'clock live. Uh, Money never sleeps to uh, give you some more uh, insight on what's going on in the world today. You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? Mm-hmm. Relax, everybody. It's good. You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine when it hurts. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass, brass, brass.